Hello, everyone, and welcome to today's episode of Munson Med Talks. I'm Laura Glenn. I'm Christine Nefsi. I'm Joe Santangelo. We hope this podcast brings value to your daily practice and keeps you updated on what's new at Munson Healthcare. Please subscribe so you don't miss out on any upcoming episodes. Thanks and enjoy. My name is Laura Glenn. I'm the president of Ambulatory Services and Value-Based Care for Munson Healthcare, and I'm joined today by Dr. Christine Nefsi, the Chief Medical Officer for Munson Healthcare, and we have a special guest. Introduce Dr. Jacques Burgess. He is Medical Director of Inpatient Pediatrics at Munson Medical Center. He has done a lot of work for us um, as a leader in pediatrics to uh, standardize um, both care and uh, quality around the system in regards to pediatrics. And we brought him here today uh, to answer questions about um, the multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children or MIS-C. Um, and Jacques, welcome. Thank you for joining us. And uh, if you wouldn't mind just starting out with just kind of an overview um, of this um, complication um, and maybe a little bit of history on you know, how it was first recognized and what we're seeing currently with the increase in our uh, pediatric admissions across the state. Absolutely. And, and thank you for that introduction. Um, so <clears throat> um, multi-system inflammatory syndrome in children, or MISC, does have a few more names, but we'll stick with that one uh, for discussion. And um, an added goal for discussion uh, to Dr. Nefsi's uh, and the purpose, I think, of this is to highlight awareness. So if anything that we could take away from this discussion, it would be please remember to include this in your differential for 21 years and under. So as you looked at that spike that was presented, that good news about um, the number of cases going down, well, now is the time to watch children for MISC. So in other words, COVID infection, then MISC to follow. So that's why we have to be so vigilant about this. Um, MISC, um, the key here is inflammatory. Um, so keep that in the front of your mind. It looks like SIRS, it looks like sepsis, it looks like Kawasaki's, it looks like toxic shock. So that is within your differential for MISC. It is post-COVID-19. There are a handful of definitions, but they all agree 21 years and under, um, and it's likely to occur about two to five weeks post-COVID-19 infection. And recall that the COVID-19 infection may have been asymptomatic. So you really have to dig, and history is going to be your key here. You actually may have to use tracing. You may have to ask family members, well, did you have COVID-19? Or could your child have been exposed to COVID-19? Because that piece of the history could highlight your concern and your added workup. The um, again, the differential diagnosis does include sepsis, so please don't forget about that because you may want to um, address in a different fashion. Um, the information and or um, kind of the view of the epidemiology, um, MDHHS indicated, indicated there's a, a case increase with a, a letter just recently. I mean, I think that's what prompted this discussion today, in addition to um, the rollout of the vaccine and really starting to pay closer attention to how this virus is affecting children. Before the recent COVID-19 upsurge, um, I recall a few weeks ago listening to the MDHHS discussion and Dr. Fogg presenting some information, and we were at about 40 to 50 cases for the 
state of Michigan. Now, uh, recent data I pulled yesterday from MDHHS, 115 cases to date. So you can see how the, the surge of COVID affects the surge of MISC. They are directly um, correlated and um, obviously a linear in relation. There's been less than five deaths. Uh, there's about 70% of these kids go to an ICU. So that's the other piece of the puzzle to remember as you're working these children up. And again, it's 21 years and under. So please don't forget about late adolescence. Um, the epidemiology seems to be male patients, um, um, a little bit more than female. The age, the median is eight. Uh, it's about five to 10 years. That seems to be the biggest peak um, in the curve. And um, it seems to have some racial disparity, much like the COVID infection. Nationally, um, 3,185 cases, 36 deaths, same epidemiology applies, racial disparity, and uh, males, median age, nine for, the, for nationally. Um, and interestingly, nationally, they say that 99% of these children tested positive for COVID at the time they had MISC. So testing may actually help you. It may not just be antibodies that you're looking for. Clinically, um, you're going to see fever. That's the number one hallmark, 100% of the cases, fever. Um, so never say never, never say always, but fever is going to be your, your guiding light in terms of um, workup. And remember, it looks like Kawasaki's. So Kawasaki's has that typical daily fever for five days as part of your criteria. Typically tachycardic. GI symptoms are also common, pain in the belly, uh, throwing up, diarrhea, um, those are common symptoms, um, and conjunctivitis, uh, so eye changes can also uh, be included in MISC. Um, and the other obligation of this is you can't explain the symptoms with any other diagnosis. So it's a diagnosis of exclusion, but again, you have to include it. So it really is rather tricky and elusive. Um, I would share with you that we have seen um, approximately five cases that I know of here at Munson Medical Center. One was actually a young adult. So she was out of the 21-year age group. Um, but being a pediatrician, I thought about MISC, and she actually had myocarditis from COVID-19. The other uh, four were right in that age group uh, that we talked about, the five to 10 years. Um, one did go on to develop shock that we, we shipped to, to um, DeVos Children's Hospital. Uh, the other presented a few times, so just the slow smoldering symptoms, and then ended up at DeVos. And the other did just fine. And a couple of others that I really had concerns about, but turned out not to be MISC. So watchful eye is what I want to give you. Awareness, concern, those are the other pieces of this puzzle. Um, anything, uh, questions at this point before I go into clinical workup testing that's recommended and treatment recommendations? No questions so far, so carry on. Okay. So the, the panel, if you will, and you can grade this based on the presentation of the patient, a BNP, N is in Nancy, BNP, um, ferritin, TNI, uh, we don't typically do troponins on kids, but that can be telling, and it was telling in the patients that we took care of here. A CK, uh, sedrate CRP together, uh, they do recommend both, they being um, 
AAP, as well as MDHHS and some of the other authorities, D-dimer, PT, PTT, and then actually testing for COVID, um, RNA-PCR is recommended. Later on, if you have the ability, chest x-ray, 2D echocardiogram, EKG are also recommended. But really at that point, if you're thinking that's what you've got, you don't need to wait for an echo. You can get this child to a pediatric intensive care unit. Treatment is currently including IV immunoglobulin, much like Kawasaki's, actually same dosing, um, IV corticosteroids or oral, but um, typically the kids are having GI symptoms, so IV tends to be more efficacious. Um, low threshold to admit to a care facility that has a PICU that's essentially um, in the same building. Um, so for us at Munson Medical Center, if these kids go sideways, we can't necessarily keep them here because they go on to require oppressors. Some go on to require ventilation, intubation and even a few require ECMO. Have a low threshold um, to transfer them directly. Um, use that window of opportunities to send them. I, I think really my opinion would say that um, even if you send a few unnecessarily, um, you're still in good stead because a, a handful of them are going to decompensate. IV fluid and pressors um, are often used. Um, empiric antibiotics are, are not uh, wrong. Uh, because remember, sepsis is in your differential. Um, your oppressors tend to be epinephrine, norepinephrine, um, and then later on, milrinone if you have cardiac symptoms and dobutamine. So that would be your clinical workup, your treatment plan, um, get them in an ambulance and transfer. Then post-COVID, so you admit them and you transfer them to <clears throat> a pediatric intensive care center um, down at DeVos or University of Michigan or whatever's closest for you. Then your next step is going to be you're going to see the children in follow-up. So follow-up uh, really needs to include cardiac, um, cardiac, cardiac, cardiac. So it's going to be follow-up with a cardiologist and or echocardiogram. It's going to be seeing them in your office regularly for um, evaluation of their symptoms, including tachypnea and the myalgias and the fatigue that they often get. And return to play. So that's going to be an important piece uh, for these children. And you're really going to need, um, I believe you're going to need um, the assistance of a cardiologist, a pediatric cardiologist to make those decisions. Um, certainly could be an adult cardiologist for 18 to 21. Um, and that return to play is um, been um, adopted uh, by the MHA and there's some really good guidelines um, uh, from the Michigan Health, Associ Michigan Health Association. Um, and also um, the Children's Hospitals and Munson Medical Center are talking regularly, uh, weekly, um, about COVID-19, MISC, and trying to make sure that we're providing good guidelines to each other about um, follow-up and uh, routine care and these numbers. That's what I have for you in terms of MISC, and, and I think we can move on to questions if there are any. Thanks, Jack. I have, I have a couple of questions. Um, one is in sort of a short term and then the other is long term. So we can start with the short term first. What I'm hearing from a lot of parents is they think that MISC is like the only complication that pediatric patients get of COVID and the only reason they're admitted, um, which we know is, is not the case. It's, it's a rare complication. Um, so can you talk a little bit about other pediatric presentations of COVID-19 outside of MISC that um, are bringing children into uh, the hospital? Sure. Um, so if we're going to talk about, let's talk about two buckets. Let's talk about 
COVID-19 as the offending virus. And then let's talk about um, it being it piggybacking on something else. So far more common is to have COVID-19 piggyback on another diagnosis. Child comes in for ocular surgery or um, e, uh, ENT surgery or comes in with cellulitis um, or a broken arm, if you will, and they're COVID-19 positive. Okay, so I don't think that's what Dr. Nefsi is asking, um, but those do exist and there's many of them. So, and those are, are really not all that concerning other than good public health measures and, and quarantine. Um, the other bucket, which I believe Dr. Nefsi was asking about is, um, what is the spectrum for COVID-19 infection? And it is as big as adults. It's just not as prevalent. Um, so what we're seeing, much like adults, but in very smaller, much smaller numbers, we're seeing children with um, maybe 24 to 40 hours of respiratory symptoms, maybe some GI symptoms, need some fluid support, some respiratory support. We've actually admitted a handful of um, what would be considered neonates here who had simple nasal congestion, some difficulty breathing that we managed and sent home. So that would be the mild the more moderate may require um, a few days stay uh, for the respiratory support, um, additional um, steroid treatment, um, and also um, some time and uh, fluid support and just overall supportive care, much like adults. Then finally, there's that you know uh, critical illness um, in that bucket, um, which does seem to have some racial disparity, does seem to have the same um, risk uh, factors and um, comorbid and infection pieces of hypertension, obesity. Um, it also, um, as I mentioned, does have racial disparity. And um, what's happening is some of the inner cities are seeing um, the young diabetics or the young hypertensives who do end up in a pediatric ICU, who do end up um, on ventilators and some on ECMO. And there are a handful that can develop um, COVID-19 infection that don't necessarily have the risk factors, but have some autoimmune issue um, or um, really, I guess, bad luck in terms of their infection and um, how it runs. So we do see the spectrum in children yeah, as well. Thank you for that explanation. And then when you talked about kind of the long-term, you mentioned cardiology. And I know a lot of our primary care physicians um, have heard a lot about the return to play uh, with athletes in COVID-19. Um, could you talk a little bit about, you know, so we, we know that that's um, a requirement for athletes that have had um, pretty significant or symptomatic COVID-19, but then there's also the follow-up and the cardio you know, um, cardiology sequelae that you can get from having COVID-19 just in general, so not being an athlete. Uh, so can you talk a little bit more about what we're learning about that and those long-term effects that um, having COVID-19 can have on, I mean, we know on adults, but specifically on kids? Um, so yeah, post-COVID-19 um, does carry carditis, myocarditis, pericarditis, as risk factors. Um, it also does include hypercoagulable states in, in some children. Um, so we have to remember that as part of MISC. Um, and remember the inflammatory syndrome, the inflammatory complex is two organ systems. So there there is variation to what I've said. What I gave you was the most common. But return to play really does not necessarily mean I'm going on an organized ball field or I play for a sport for somebody else. It, it may just be return to normal activities and kids being kids, um, getting outside, running, playing. So um, what the implications are that if they have an undiagnosed cardiac um, dysfunction, it can be rhythm disturbances in their heart. It can be um, breathlessness. It can be 
um, added risk for um, continue, continuing myocarditis. And so really the variation exists just like um, it does with the illness, the, the post follow-up exists as well. And the beauty of having uh, serial echocardiograms is to look for healing, um, as well as keep in mind that much like Kawasaki's, they can have coronary dilatation. So you may want to limit play even further, um, and maybe maybe a patient that you have to watch very careful for um, myocardial infarction. And Jack, we uh, you know we do. Um, I, I think we're learning a lot more specifically with this latest surge. Um, you know where we've had so many more patients admitted. But do we have an idea um, on a, a like as a percentage of how many of these kids um, have kind of the the lingering complications? I don't have that information. I've not seen a great database. Um, in fact, I don't. I don't know that anybody's keeping one. To be honest with you, because I think at that point we start to lose them. They are they're fractioning or splintering into um, specialists. So I have not seen that, and um, I will go look for it because uh, that's a, a good number to know. Yeah, I, I think it'll be interesting to see. You mentioned kind of the numbers that we've seen in our state. Um, you know, and and those have increase very significantly. I think they have nationally as well. I mean, when this last surge started, I think there'd been a thousand cases nationally. So I would imagine that that's increased pretty significantly as have our cases as well. The other thing I'm, I'm very interested to see and watch for is now that we're going to start immunizing children into, you know, so-called younger ages, if you will. I know we're not getting down to the less than 12 yet, but since we are inducing an inflammatory response with the vaccine, will we see variations of MISC post-vaccination? And I don't want anyone to take that as a reason not to vaccinate. I just want us to be on the alert and watch and look for it. Um, one, because you could have had a child who's asymptomatic COVID-19 and got the vaccine, so you don't necessarily know where it came from. But two, just to watch complications of COVID-19 and the uh, vaccination that may exist in children, but not adults. So why don't we, um, you know, we're, we're getting close to our time. Why don't we uh, finish up with that of kind of what, what's the elevator speech that you use uh, with parents when you're recommending that they're, we'll, we'll project and assume ASIP gives their approval 12 and up on why they should be immunized? Um, the complications of, of COVID-19 um, are still unknown in children, and we do know that the vaccination is effective. Um, so I would recommend uh, that they vaccinate their children, um, not only to help uh, with their own illness, but to help uh, prevent further illness in, in our community and within our region, within our nation. Um, so it, it's a part of us all healing um, and so-called herd immunity. Okay. On that note, I think we'll um, close up. Jacques, thank you so much for joining us today um, and giving us some really great information um, on you know, the care of our pediatric population during this pandemic. Very much appreciate it. As a reminder for people, we will have access to this as well as a lot of information on MISC on our website. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks very much.